0: from the partner guiding the transaction to the associate in the middle who will be doing the day-to-day running and a junior the trainee or the paralegal every part of that chain is is vital so i think feeling like you are part of that team and as a trainee you are totally valued and completely needed is, is really important hello
1: everyone and welcome to the student lawyer podcast series Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law, or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the student lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This podcast is brought to you by Feed Ignite. Hello everyone, welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. My name is stephanie i'm a second year law student and i'm the host of today's show on today's episode i speak with laura uberoy a senior real estate finance solicitor and law society council member during the episode laura talks about the responsibilities of a trainee and solicitor and why teamwork is so important how to keep focused and become commercially aware and gives away what is on the cheat sheet that she offers to trainees laura and i also talk about her campaign calling time on our booze culture and how axe-throwing is hot on the socialising scene. Hi Laura, welcome to the Student Way podcast.
0: Hey, uh, thank you so much for having me.
1: No, well thank you for joining us. I don't know about yourself, but since um, the summer break, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and like fun webinars. And one of the questions that always kind of like pops up that I thought was really fun was, what's your good week and bad week? So I thought that we could incorporate it into uh, the Shoot Lawyer podcast, just as uh, like a little bit of fun at the beginning. Uh, so Laura, my first question is, what is your good week and bad week this week?
0: Oh, good week and bad week. Well, generally, I consider myself really lucky because I'm able to do a job that I really enjoy. And uh, I know that sounds really cheesy, but most days I wake up and I think, oh, I wonder what's going to happen today uh, and don't have that feeling of dread that a lot of people have going to work. So um, I guess in, in, in short, my good week is is most weeks because I think it's really important that you enjoy the work that you do. Um, and if you are waking up with that sort of dread of, oh, I don't really want to do it, then it's important to, to take stock and, and wonder, uh, am I doing the, the right thing that suits me? Um, but obviously everybody has down uh, times uh, when they do hate what they're doing, even if it is the, the job of your dreams. And I think the things that give me a, a bad week uh, well, amusingly, but I'm sure lots of other lawyers will um, uh, agree with this, a bad week is when I can't get into the office to get near a printer. And the one thing that I have found from lockdown over everything else is how much I had taken for granted being in close proximity to a speedy printer. And in the world of finance that where I work, and I'm sure as in most areas of law, um, we have some very hefty documents that you have to review. Uh, maybe I am now old school, and everybody coming through will be much more whizzy than I am at reading documents on screen, but there is nothing I like better when I'm trying to review something than having it in paper in my hands and trying to print off uh, various pages on my home desk jet as one comes out every minute. Uh, it isn't working. So um, I mean, maybe my bad week is a very, very good week for the planet. Um, but, uh, if I can't, get, if I can't get no over printer well, then, um, uh, that generally, uh, makes me a bit sad. And my good week, like I said, are most weeks in terms of my good days usually one of my favorite days is a Wednesday um, you're in the middle of the week you've warmed up and you've got a little bit to go till the end on a Wednesday morning my team at work has an all-team meeting and it used to be in person and now we do it uh, via video conference and uh, every week we go around everyone in the team and everyone in the team says a snippet of something interesting that they've come across that week or that they're working on And I have quite a big team and that sort of knowledge sharing I find absolutely invaluable Um, and everybody uh, is encouraged to contribute from um, the trainees to the partners. And uh, everybody has something of value, even if you've just joined as a first seat trainee, you will have read the news and something interesting will be in there. So it doesn't matter what the substance is, uh, just the things of interest. And often if I don't have anything else to say, then I tell people about an interesting book that I'm reading that's good for downtime. Um, so I, I always really enjoy the, the team meetings and getting to see everybody. Um, And obviously every day where we close one of the deals I'm working on is a good day as well. Um, so I'd say at any given time, I'll be juggling a a good few, um, deals that might be closing within the next few days or so. And so every few days I will have a completion on a matter. And there has usually been a couple of months or a few weeks, depending on the urgency of the deal, building up to, to a completion moment. And, um, that, that's always a really, really nice feeling because, I guess, unlike other areas of law or being a transactional lawyer, even though there are counterparties who uh, some might say I'm working opposite, but really we're working together. It means that when you get to completion, everybody is happy because everybody has achieved the goal that they wanted to, as opposed to something adversarial where either a compromise is struck so that no one's happy or somebody has won at the loss of another. So, um, in short, lots of good times and uh, the usual bad times that I'm sure everyone has. I love your good week, and I'm definitely stealing
1: stealing that Wednesday morning meeting motivational. Um, just share each other's good times. It you know it sets people up for a good day. And you know if you're nice to that one person, or you know not even nice, but send off positive vibes, and you know the chain kind of goes. Can no. totally. Um, empathize with you with that printer story as well. I bought the printer in at March time, I think, and tested, you know, in one of those test pages that came to come up. I live with my sister and I, and I say to her, the computer is broken and I've had it for five minutes. And she was just like, no, that's just what home computers are like. I couldn't believe it because I'm used to this one at work that shoots out paper. <laughs> but I feel for you because I don't have to print out hefty documents. So... Um, <laughs> So just keep going, Laura. The, um,
0: the, the other thing I would say about the, the virtual team meetings as well is that particularly in this environment that we're in at the moment where we're all working remotely, one of the things I think that we're really missing is building those relationships with the people we work with. And if you have been at your firm a long time or you've been in your team a long time, then you've probably got those relationships established already. So it's not so much of an issue. But if you are a junior qualifying into the team or a trainee just coming through the team, you haven't you've got to build those relationships before you feel comfortable to ask questions now it doesn't matter how many times I say to people no question is a stupid question and you might think that it's a stupid question but it isn't ask away until you have that relationship where you do feel comfortable and you do feel like you don't have to keep the, the pretense up anymore or, or this person is an okay person they're not going to shout at me or um uh or, or tell me off which by the way no one ever does you you don't have that level of comfort and so part of uh what i think is a, a an ancillary positive of, of having all of these team meetings is that it still helps create those relationships um, and that atmosphere, which is we're all in it together. And um, particularly in in an area like finance where everybody in my deal team has a vital role from the partner guiding the transaction to the associate in the middle who'll be doing the day-to-day running like I would and the uh, junior the trainee or the paralegal who's helping me transaction manage and deal with all the ancillary documents every part of that chain is is vital and so I think feeling like you are part of that team and as a trainee you are totally valued and completely needed is, is really important. That's that's great
1: that's really great advice I think um Lots of trainees and future trainees will find that very um, good to know.
0: Mm, I think one of the, um, the the biggest pieces of advice I tend to give to the juniors and the trainees when they're coming through is to, to be open and ask the supervisors and the people you work for, actually, where do I fit in? it's so easy to just take a task that you're given go and do the task and then give it back without seeing the bigger picture and it's the bigger picture that's actually going to make you a really good lawyer Um, and I know to start off with people might be busy or you don't really know the right questions to ask so you, you sort of take that approach but Nobody is uh, is going to think negatively of you if you want to try and take a step back and preempt, well, what's going to happen with this piece of work? Then what needs to happen to it? Is there anything else around this that I could do? Is there anything more I should be reading about? So just to see where you fit in, because um, it's as much about trainees learning what they need to be doing in the role as it is just doing the tasks that, that are given to you and generally if a task is given to you it's because it's important for a reason and that makes you important for a reason so it's uh it, it's good to know where where you sit how do you think somebody can
1: start to train themselves to think outside the box and think you know preempt what's going to happen next with that form. Is it just the matter of reading a lot, um, becoming, you know, commercially aware that buzzword would be going around or
0: um it, you experience, how can how can yeah. somebody to be honest, I think, well, part of it is just practice. One of the easiest things to do, and and I still have these on my computer for things that I need to get into the habit of, is have a post-it note on your screen and put on there reminders of things that you need to think about every time you do something. So if I was a trainee, I would have post-it notes uh, on my monitor or maybe um, uh, a sheet in the front of your notebook, and it should say uh, things along the lines of... Uh, Why is this needed? Where do I fit in? Um, And it would say, is there anything else you'd recommend I read or look at? Because quite often, if supervisors are firing things off in a hurry and um, you're going to discuss something later, they often, as humans, just won't remember or just won't think, actually, I do this every day, but you have only been in our team two weeks, even though because you're so great, it feels like you've been here forever. So I should stop and explain things to them. Um, and uh, I often give uh, trainees a cheat sheet when they join the cheat team and uh, stick it in the front of your notebook because it's no good having the post-it note on your screen if a partner catches you in the corridor <laughs> where, uh, for instructions on something. And it has all of the basic questions that you would want to ask when someone gives you a task But often in the heat of getting all the instructions or in the pressure of being in front of somebody that you want to impress, you can really easily forget the basic stuff you want to ask. So my cheat sheet of questions is, uh, what's the deadline, which... It's such an easy question to forget, but is so crucially important. Um, what form do you want this to come in? So do you want a hard copy on your desk? Do you want this in an email? Do you want it in a memo? Where's it going? Do you want a draft email? Is there anything else I should read around or is there somewhere you would recommend I start with? Because more often than not, lots of the things that people are producing have been produced by someone else already and you can use it as a template. So what where, where should I start? Um, are, are good things. And uh, generally, for fee earning work, uh, there'll usually be time recording involved. So, it's what is the matter number uh, or where should I record my time for this? One, a controversial question, which I leave to, to everybody uh, individually, is also how long do you think this should take me? Because on the the one hand, you, you don't want anybody spending a lot of time looking into something that they didn't need to, either because they've gone down the wrong path uh, or because it's just quicker for you to tell them something than to spend hours researching it. Um, but on the other hand, you do want people to start being able to become aware of how long things generally take them and using the initiative uh, without worrying them that things are taking them much longer than, let's say, they should. Uh, so maybe they're just not very good. Uh, the, the, how long should this take me is a, is a variable question, depending on... Um, how people feel to, in sort of comfort levels wise as to, to where they are at the time. But I, I have always found that it's quite a useful steer to ask people how long should things take me. And then I add a few more hours because I find inevitably um, uh, people who are delegating work to you can do things quicker than you can because they're, uh, because they're better. Um, so uh, that's the a
1: common reason. concern that you see in, in trainees. Uh, worrying how
0: long things should take do you know actually um i i genuinely think that the caliber of trainees that we're getting through year on year is just absolutely overwhelming and so i think a lot of the worries that i had as a trainee or maybe i was just a a worrisome trainee uh, the the trainees don't don't have issues or at least overtly don't have issues that that i've ever noticed um, with this i just i am always concerned that it could be something Um, that worries people but I think there is more of an awareness generally about the importance of um, making sure that the juniors are comfortable in, in what they're doing, but also really comfortable in time recording. And I think there maybe historically um, across all lawyers was a, a fear that if you put too much time down or record too much time for, for a matter, um, then it would highlight, you know, how how stupid you were because it took you so long or whatnot. And I think it has been thoroughly drummed into people now that time recording it isn't necessarily for billing purposes at all. It's actually just really useful as an indicator for generally how long things take. And it's really important for people more senior than you to know and to be able to take stock of how long things actually take. Um, and and so I always try and drum that in uh, to, to anyone I speak to the importance of just recording all your time, put it all down, because the worst that happens is that it gets written off before it's billed to the client, because inevitably the the client only gets billed for what they should be paying for. And it also really helps you understand how long things take, because I'm sure everyone is different, but I think it's it's fairly common that people massively underestimate how long things will take. And I think having a, a method of recording how long helps you start to get to grips with actually... it tends to take a good five to ten minutes to open a document and save it on a computer uh, and and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's great to know. Thank you, Laura.
1: Can you tell us uh, what your focus area is and why you chose this area of law to practice in? Um,
0: Yeah. So I've been alluding to the fact that already but I haven't actually said that I am a real estate finance lawyer so um, I'm not expecting most people to uh, who are only just starting on legal careers to even know uh, what that means because I can remember before I did my banking seat as a trainee I had no idea about what uh, what any of this was but um, in short finance lawyers generally help clients who are either borrowers or lenders borrow or lend money to finance something, uh, the acquisition of uh, an asset or the refinancing of the acquisition of an asset. And so taking that one step further, I specialize in real estate finance. So I help borrowers and lenders uh, borrow money or lend money to finance the acquisition or refinance the acquisition of property. Um, And this includes hotels, restaurants, shopping centres, residential properties, office buildings. Um, I just, I find, honestly, I find it really interesting. And maybe that means that I need to get out a bit more. But I genuinely still find it exciting when I drive or walk past a building and I think I finance that and I know what it looks like on the inside. And I've seen the plans. (laughs) Um, So uh, although I guess what I would say is uh, my journey to my area is hopefully a useful lesson to, to a lot of people. In that, I never wanted or started out uh, with a desperation to be a finance lawyer. And in fact, when I was doing my my training contract, I uh, elected to qualify into the family team and be a family lawyer. And I thought, oh, this will be great because you know we can help settle disputes between family members, and I'll get all the juicy gossip about what's going on. Um, and actually, uh, I closed my mind off to all other uh, areas. Was convinced I wanted to be a family lawyer. So didn't worry about anything else, and had a real battle with myself when it came to qualification. And realised that I was just much happier in the banking team doing banking work. And uh, I was very fortunate. I was allowed to move teams, and so pretty much instantly on qualification, I moved across to the banking team. and I became a finance lawyer, and then specialised in real estate finance. And I think speaking up and saying actually I'm really sorry I I just got it wrong and I want to be a finance lawyer uh, was the best move I, I ever made and I think I can't quite put my finger on there being one specific reason, but I think when you are looking at areas to qualify into, there are lots of different factors that you have to put into into consideration. And I think one of the key things that's important to do is to look at what the associates a few years beyond you are doing. Because uh, when you are a trainee, you do trainee tasks but when you've qualified, you won't be doing trainee tasks anymore. You'll be doing associate tasks. So don't judge your experience wholly on what you've done as a trainee. You've got to see what the associates are doing. And if that's the sort of work you want to be doing. Um, so, so get to know the people who are one, two years qualified and, and try and get a feel for what their life is like, what their day to day looks like, um, because that that will, will be yours. Um, the other things to think about are generally career progression so in that industry what does career progression look like as well as in your team and in your firm or in similar firms and um, what does career progression look like thinking laterally if you ever did want to move to a different firm what types of firm do that t- uh, sort of work um to try and get a feel of where you're going to sit in the in the market once you are qualified because the firm. Oh, as would appear obvious, the further qualified you are, the harder it is to switch. And so uh, it's important to sort of look around to to check what all of your options are going to be. And then one of the most important things I think uh, about choosing your area that a lot of people don't pay much thought to is what opportunities there are for clients, the convents. And one of the best ways of being a really, helpful, trusted advisor to clients, which is ultimately what you want to be as a a lawyer. You don't, nobody wants a lawyer who recites law. Clients want lawyers who understand how their business works and tells them what the best way to achieve the goal they want to achieve is within the parameters of what the law lets them do. And so the best way of being that trusted advisor is to get under the skin of your clients and to really find out what they do. And the best way of doing that is to go on clients' accomplishments and I was fortunate when I was only one or two years qualified, I was on secondment to Deutsche Bank um, and I was there for nearly a year. And I would say I, I probably learned on secondment in the year what it would have taken me years uh, of, uh, of being in private practice to experience and to learn because you're, you're inevitably on the, the front line. So from, um, from a personal perspective, I, I found clients' comments really, really useful. Um, and so I would always have a think about if I'm the sort of person that wants to be on uh, a clients' comment or, or multiple clients' comments during my career, is this an area that... Um, Uh, that that allows that and and obviously in the finance context where I work um, then I work for a lot of big lenders and I work for a lot of big property funds and and naturally they uh, have large legal teams that, that do welcome in secondes so something to think about and I'm going to break the rule that everyone says you mustn't everybody says you mustn't pick things based on the people that you work with because people move and people change but I say rubbish to that. I think life is really important. Well, I think life is important. I think it is really important in life to be happy at work as you are happy in other aspects of your life. And I think people are a really important factor in that. And it would be very difficult to be in a team where you didn't trust and respect and enjoy the company and advice of the people you work with. Because inevitably, you spend a lot of time uh, with your colleagues. But also, most of the tasks we do as lawyers, not just in finance or real estate finance, but as a firm, you're never working on your own. You are always working with multiple members of your team and other teams. Um, And so you you want to get on with those people. Naturally, you want to work with people who are enjoyable to, to be with. So as much as everybody always says, don't pay attention to the people, don't give weight to the people when you're qualifying, I think it's really hard and quite short-sighted not to, particularly because you are going to be in a, in a team with the people, and, um, and i'm very fortunate because uh i'm obviously totally biased but might even wonderful um and uh, like i said earlier the caliber of uh of trainees and uni qualifies is, is absolutely incredible um uh, as well as the, the people i work for and alongside and so that support network particularly when it's tested in times like this when we're all isolated and apart from each other is really important it's fascinating Laura. worst honestly uh
1: a huge amount of great advice there thank you so much honestly great advice i think that as you were saying at the beginning talking about uh, you know walking past that shopping center that you've you've helped um well worked on the deal that must give you such a great buzz like walking past that and knowing that you have you have helped and been involved in that and just touching on um the people that you work with i've heard by um more than a few people that uh, you know. Being a lawyer is well, being a great lawyer is all about being able to make great connections and relationships with people. It's such an important part. You can't just be great at law. You have to, you know, have the whole package. So yeah, I mean, I, ag- I agree with you there.
0: And I think a, a huge part of it is actually being comfortable in who you are as a person and what your approach is. And and I must admit, um. I've only just become a senior solicitor and I am still getting to grips with it being okay now to, to have my style. And I think uh, as you're starting on your career, you look at others around you and you think, right, that's what a lawyer does. I need to be like that. Or that's what so does. So I need to emulate that. And obviously, to a certain extent, that is true. If you're drafting emails for supervisors or other people, then you need to conform to a style that they like. But I think it is important to start to acknowledge from an early stage that, everybody has their own style and it takes up a lot of energy to try and put on a pretense and take on a style that isn't yours and actually you should be bringing your true self to uh to the business uh to your work because that's the value that that you can add and um I think a classic example is that in negotiations, for example, or um, uh, tough situations, litigation, people think, oh, I need to be hard-nosed and I need to be tough and aggressive or assertive. And um, I'm only basing those stereotypes on what people see on the television, not at all my experiences in life. Um, and, And I think it's just important to break down those stereotypes from an early stage, which is that, everybody is successful by just being themselves and so on a, on a day-to-day basis it doesn't suit my personality for example to be really tough or hard-nosed or aggressive um, by default be a bit more sort of rainbows and flowers and, and that hasn't ever held me back because generally I find that killing people with kindness tends to work just as well as um as being quite aggressive with uh, with people but I think it, it goes further than that it also acknowledges that we are as a collective regardless of what firm we're in all lawyers together doing a job as a profession and whilst we might have um competing interests that we're trying to work for we are actually just humans doing a a job like everyone else and so I, I always find it uh interesting if somebody asks me for something that they wouldn't give me themselves or if they take an approach that they wouldn't like to be on the receiving end of things so um in the sort of in the spirit of advice one of the best things that someone ever told me is to make sure you're as as friendly to the people you're working let's say opposites as you are to the people on your your one because it's a nice thing to do two because quite frankly you need to accept very early on that we are all humans and that means we all make mistakes and inevitably with tight deadlines massive loads of documents lots of people working on things mistakes are inevitable and you just have to accept that and be kind to yourself to realize that you're human but if you've got a good working relationship with the other lawyers in other firms then it's very easy to pick up the phone and say You'll never guess what I've just done. I've just stamped copy on an original deed your client signed. Do you think you can get me another one signed? And people are just more pleasant towards each other. So uh, best piece of advice that somebody ever gave me is whenever you're starting a new deal, um, whenever you're working with a new person, and this can be in your firm that you've not worked with before, or lawyers at another firm that you're just starting a deal, pick up the phone if you can't go and see them in person, so we're resorting to phones now, and introduce yourself. So on any deal I do, uh, whether it's a new matter for a new partner in a different part of my firm, or a uh, new lawyers, um, I've not worked opposite before, I pick up the phone and say, hi, I'm Laura, we've not worked together before, really looking forward to, um, to working with you. And some of the people from uh, my team are going to be blob and blob and blob so you'll get some emails from us Um, I don't have an update on timings at the moment but I'll I'll keep you updated and if you think you have any issues or there's going to be any sticking points and then just pick up the phone and let me know and we can sort it out before um, anything becomes a problem and I am amazed at how off guard that takes people because so few people do it and when people do do it to me I I think these are the best people in the world. I genuinely can't wait to work with these people because clearly they are uh, normal humans. This is going to be a a good transaction between all of us because my, my approach generally is, like I said, as lawyers, we are instructed to be trusted advisors to our clients. What do our clients really care about? Number one, achieving what their goal is to achieve. So in my case, it's they want to borrow some money or get some money out to finance a property. And what do they care about, number two, how much it's going to cost them. So whenever you have lawyers who are adversarial towards each other and, you know, sending snotty emails or, or whatnot, all that is doing is putting up the costs, the fees that the lawyers are incurring. And who pays that? Your client. It's not in your client's interest as much as people might think you know, being aggressive and taking the hard line is to take an unreasonable approach or to just behave unreasonably because all that does is put lawyers fees up and that will give us a bad reputation as a profession i think if you always have that at the forefront of your mind you know what is my purpose here what am i doing how does this help my client achieve their aims um and <laughs> make sure i don't rack up any fees that are unnecessary which is always a concern um less time you might really go wrong
1: so how um so why did you choose to specialise in advisory over
0: litigation? Yeah, so I guess it's that, that whole thing of, you, you might have guessed by now, but in terms of personality type, I, I, adversarial just doesn't really suit me. And I, I didn't like getting to, let's say, the closing day or the completion day or the judgment day if you were going to be in litigation and not having all parties happy with what they have achieved. And there is something lovely about completion day that's actually also very anticlimactic. And I always have to warn the trainees before completion day but when, they're, when they haven't had a completion call before. You spend, as I said, you know, a couple of months or a few weeks, depending on the urgency, building up to the, the completion of your deal. And it consumes your life for a little bit. And, um, uh, and then you get to completion day, all of your documents are signed, all of the money is held where it needs to be held. And you have this completion call and you're expecting fireworks and, um, and everything. And actually, it is the most anticlimactic thing. Uh, lawyers and sometimes clients will jump on a phone call. It will last for all of about two minutes. The lawyers will say, I'm holding these documents. The other lawyers will say, well, I'm holding these documents. And then we say, can we all agree to date the documents as at today? And we all say yes. And that's it. (laughs) and and you you, the enormous sense of relief that that comes over you obviously everyone is delighted Um, and then uh there's this lovely period i can remember always having as a trainee post completion where you just get to sit and date all the documents um and that's a lovely feeling as well because sometimes it's nice to just give your brain a rest from harder work those completion calls are are really quite anticlimactic um but come with a lovely uh round robin email chain afterwards and usually all clients uh, so all parties so my clients and clients on the other side and all lawyers will be on these emails and it's just a chain of thanks to everybody for getting this deal over the line well done everybody uh, enjoy your you know the rest of your week or whatnot mm-hmm. and i just think oh that's a really satisfying for me that's really satisfying because not only has our client now achieved something but the other people that they are working with who they have a relationship with are pleased with what we have been able to do so, I was gonna say it must it must be
1: very very satisfying for you to you know have that completion. no, no, no yes. <laughs> um, so touching back onto uh, commercial awareness now yes. how are you able to stay commercially aware in under to, in order to um, understand your client's needs
0: well, it's a, oh, isn't that the buzzword? That's what everyone uh, is talking about, and it, there's always a box on an application form for a job for it, and there's always a question in an interview about it. Um, and I would say that well, that some of the best ways of being commercially aware generally is picking uh, a firm or an area of law that you're interested in, because naturally, if you are interested in something, you'll read the news about it so uh, the best way to be commercially aware is just to, to read the news so you know what's going on generally in life and you can when you're reading about things think about oh well how would this impact the work that this type of firm does or how would this impact the type of um uh client that these people have for example um more focused than sort of just reading the general news uh, oh, and the other reason why I also say that the general news is, is important is as, as a junior, um, when we're not in, in lockdown, but there are virtual events as well, but generally um, one of the jobs you'll be doing day to day is going to networking events uh, where your, your job is to just network with uh, clients and intermediaries that have, have attended um, for a seminar or just for entertainment purposes um, and just reading the news And being a a normal human who can talk is actually the best skill you can have. Because I think before juniors or, or trainees go to networking events, they're terrified because, and I certainly was, I've got nothing to talk about. I've got no value add here. If someone asks me a question about something, I've got nothing to respond to. And what you find is that when people come to networking events, the last thing they want to do is talk about work (laughs) because they've been at work all day or because they're surrounded by work. So actually, the people they really want to talk about or to, other people who will talk about something or anything other than work. So um, that, that would be my first bit of advice for more general um, just chit-chat and things to, to talk about. But for more focused commercial awareness, one of the best and easiest things you can do, set some Google Alerts. Uh, for keywords of what you're interested in so I have Google Alerts set for all of my key clients and for I think phrases such as real estate finance um, or retail finance you know the the areas that I work in and it means you get an email each day from Google telling you about anything that's been published that has those phrases or those um, key terms in it which is instantly uh, in your mailbox focus news that that you want. So that's really helpful. I don't know if uh, students necessarily have subscriptions to the various legal research platforms uh, out there, but you you certainly would as a trainee. And all of these come with email update subscriptions as well. So um, I subscribe to, I think, all finance updates uh, on various research platforms. And a really easy way of keeping on top of that is... um, I have a really regimented folder uh, layout in my inbox where every matter has its own folder and to-do lists and and the like. And I have one folder, which is called uh, to read. And I set aside some time, usually about 45 minutes, uh, twice a week in my diary and and blank it out so that I can go through all of the legal update emails that have come in. Um, And when I'm reading those, uh, I'm reading them with a focus of number one, Is there anything in here that I can usefully write an article about or give a talk about? Uh, Number two, is there anything in here that would be of particular interest to any of my um, key clients that I can send it on to? And number three, is there anything in here that crosses over with other people uh, in my firm? So other teams, other subject areas that it would be interesting or helpful to, to pass on? Um, and I think it's very easy to get overwhelmed with the sheer amount of stuff that is out there so I think looking at things with a more focused head is is helpful um, but like I said before when I was talking about comments, one of the best ways to get commercially aware is actually just to talk to people and it might just be that I'm very nosy and uh, I like to, to talk um, but I think some of the best questions and maybe the ones that take people off guard the most at a networking event or uh you know just when you're having a a water cooler moment is say to people what does your job actually involve what do you do day to day you know a bit like what what you've asked me and if you ask that of your clients or you ask that of um the the people who are who are working around you you'll get quite a good idea of what, not only what it is they actually do but one how you can sort of feed into that but what what they're seeing and, and what impacts on them and how the market is is impacting on them so I think some of the the best ways once you're doing your targeted reading is just to ask ask and, and, and talk and try to break out of that voice in your head that says don't say something because people think you're silly. I find that you know well, people
1: actually quite like talking about themselves in the best way possible. You know, it's nice when somebody comes up to you and, and asks you a question. You know, about your day or you know, asks how you are. It's just a nice thing to do. Combine that with having a genuine interest in the area of law. Or, you know, what that person does. It doesn't really feel like you're trying to become commercially aware. It feels like you're having a nice conversation with somebody who's very interesting and stuff that you're interested in as well
0: and I think it's a really good litmus test because if you are bored then that's probably not the area for you and it's really important I think to be attuned to that and to accept that it's okay that there will be areas that you aren't interested in and listen to that and be aware of that because you know we work for an extraordinary long amount of time as a proportion of our lives it's really important that you find something that you enjoy because if you enjoy it it doesn't really feel like work and people can pick up on the fact that you enjoy it it's much harder to be upbeat with other lawyers than your clients if you're actually miserable and you're not you're not liking what you're doing
1: so can you tell us what the day-to-day tasks of a solicitor in your field what they do what they
0: go. Kind of yeah do. no no well I wish I could say that <laughs> all we do is just podcast the webinars all day uh because so, that would be quite the treat but um no I mean I can give you a, a snapshot of a, a general day so in the course of a day I will probably be drafting some finance documents so there are a fair few finance documents that you have to put in place when you're lending or or borrowing money. Um, And the key one is a loan agreement. That's fairly long and it needs to be drafted, usually by someone like me. So I will be drafting a loan agreement and usually talking to a, a partner that I'm working for about it and they'll have a look over it as well. And I think that's something to get comfortable with early on is that it doesn't matter how senior you become, in your career, there will always be someone more senior than you who will who will mark up your work. And I think you just have to get comfortable with that from an early stage. Um, I find it comforting that there is always multiple pairs of eyes looking at everything we're doing. Like I said, everything is teamwork, but uh, so uh, one of my key jobs will be just drafting these documents and getting them past uh, whoever I'm uh, working for. Um, uh, Another key uh, job really, and uh, this comes much earlier in your career than you would necessarily expect or be comfortable with, is the amount of delegation and supervising uh, that you actually do. And even as a trainee, you will be delegating to support staff, paralegals. Um, secretaries and as a newly qualified you'll be delegating to trainees and, and the same so from a very early stage uh, you need to get comfortable and it's not necessarily a skill on top of being a good lawyer that people get naturally so um, something to, to, to think about but um, like I said one of the key concerns that clients have is how much is this going to cost me and so in order to make sure a client gets the most efficient service one of the jobs is making sure that the tasks need to be done are allocated to the right level person but the farthest down they can go so that they're done in the most cost-efficient way. So a lot of my time is spent delegating tasks to the appropriate people and supervising them to, to do that. Um, a lot of my day, uh, when I'm not doing those things, is spent on business development. So I will uh, be... Making uh, chit chat with clients who might have called because they have a particular small issue that they, they need to talk about. Uh, I'll be reading my uh, folder of uh, articles and sending that out to clients. I might be writing an article myself or talking to somebody about a conference that uh, I want to present at. And um, something else, uh, usually, that's a quite heavy part of my day is is learning and development personally. And I think you are never too qualified to be learning things so uh, I have a folder in my uh, inbox which is for things to look up and often if I'm copying in on emails or I see something come in and I don't have time now to look into it and find out about it I send an email to myself about it store it in my to learn file and then when I have my allocated learning time which is usually about an hour a week Uh, for just the purpose of looking up things I don't know, um, I will go back into that folder and I'll either find somebody in the firm who can tell me um, or I can look it up myself. So this morning I had an hours allocated uh, Laura learning time and there was a really interesting question that I had seen go between my client and somebody in my financial services team about a complex part of the market abuse regulation and and so it's not an area that I need to know anything about or that I do and to be honest the words meant nothing to me but I thought oh interesting that I quite wants to know about that I should probably have a feel for what the words mean and so I called my colleague friend in um, financial services team this morning during my Laura learning time and asked her to teach me a little bit about it and then Around that, the rest of my day usually involves things like dropping the baby off at nursery, picking her up again, um, and doing uh, uh, webinars and, and other fun things like this. It's very inspirational, I must say. You manage
1: your time incredibly well. What I was going to ask um, when you were, you know, explaining how um, your day-to-day runs, how do you ensure that you don't become distracted? Because you know, these five minutes or you know what you think is. 30 seconds like looking at something on your phone they can all add up especially when they're broken up into different parts of your day how do you ensure that you stay focused
0: so the first thing is that I don't have uh, mobile phones or things that can distract me like that on your desk there's loads of research that says that even having a phone that let's say is even turned over uh, on your desk can distract uh, and mean that you don't have the same level of concentration as if it wasn't there Um, And I'm not going to preach about this too much, but I am a huge fan of um, Shine Offline, the fantastic organisation that tries to get people to be more cognisant of the amount of time they spend on their mobile devices. And uh, they've got some incredible tips of things that we all know are really obvious that you shouldn't do, but you do because you get into bad habits. Um, And I think phones, phones on your desk, phones in your bedroom, Phones when you first wake up and all things like that uh, are, are a distraction, um, and so I, I tend to have the phones away because if a client is trying to call me, I will hear it ringing, or they'll ring through uh, my my work line, mm-hmm. um, and so so that sort of helps the the day to day distractions. And then I think it's just a case of being quite ruthless with your time uh, and planning in advance. So, um, like I said, I block out time in my diary for all the things I want to do. And so uh, if you make those recurring uh, activities, you just get into the habit of doing it. So a a really basic example is uh, as an associate, something to to get on top of at an early stage in your career is being aware and keeping an eye on the amount of um, fees you're incurring on any file because you will give a fee estimate for the work you're doing to your client at the beginning of the matter, and nobody is going to like you if it gets to the completion of a matter and you say, oh, sorry, by the way, massively went over our fees. um, It's really important that you keep an eye on on your fees. And so I have half an hour uh, blocked in every other day of my diary, uh, repeating to just check the, the fees on every file I'm working on and, if necessary, to provide updates to the people that need it. Um, I have a bit of time blocked out for a few days to do the Laura Learning time. Um, and I have some time blocked out. Some, some, a very useful piece of advice that um, a, a mentor gave me was to block out uh, a bit of time, let's say once a month, that's called a meeting with myself. And it's to, to do nothing other than sit without distractions and think about career development what sort of learning objectives and things you want to achieve in the next month what you want to reflect on from the past month and put together a bit of a, a sort of a career action plan um, and the way that I do that is I take the appraisal document that my firm has that you're mark you're you know you discuss when you have an appraisal each year and at the beginning of the year I save it into a word document with a column well with two columns. One column is uh, things I should do or things I would like to do that will help me display this criteria I'm supposed to have and then a second column which records when I displayed it and when I got a chance to do it and it means that when you actually come to your end of year appraisal or your mid-year appraisal you have all of the evidence and things to discuss in front of you there and then because I think often what can happen is that you You go about your your daily business every day, and then all of a sudden it gets to appraisal time. You have to try and remember for the past six months or a year what you've you've done and what you want to work on. And so I have uh, a meeting with myself for an hour once a month where I update my sort of ongoing appraisal document. And actually, it's quite helpful because you do, along the way, sort of forget. You think, oh, I was supposed to organise a a roundtable on um, this very interesting topic of finance law. Uh and I totally forgot and uh I better get onto that now and, and things like that. So carping out time. I think the other thing that's important in terms of distractions, there is um a really interesting theory called the Pomodoro technique. Um Pomodoro based on the Pomodoro tomatoes and uh how in America you get uh Pomodoro tomato timers. And the idea of, have you got one? I've got one around here somewhere. <laughs> it it um,
1: it uh, switches in between this room where I work and my sister's room we, we distract <laughs> each other
0: <laughs> mean, it in between, we're like now you be quiet and then I'll be quiet <laughs> the um the, the timer technique uh people might think is controversial but actually works really well and I always say to people you've got nothing to lose in trying it the worst happens is you don't like it you don't do it again but Um, The idea is that you uh, shut down your uh, inbox because you can't concentrate on a drafting task or a reading task if you're watching emails ping in. So you shut down everything else that's a distraction and you set 20 minutes on the timer and you use that 20 minutes just to do your task. And actually 20 minutes is a very short period of time, but it really is what we have an attention span for, for great in-depth thought and concentration. And then once the timer rings... You go get a drink, make a cup of tea, have a wee, come back, um, check the emails. Nothing urgent or catastrophic is going to have happened in that 20, 25 minutes. And then you repeat for your different tasks. Um, and you always do the tasks that require the hardest work or that you're least looking forward to first in the day. Mm-hmm. I think there's nothing better than getting to lunchtime and thinking, oh, I've, I've already like nailed today. If I do nothing else uh, than uh, I've covered a lot. So I think it's about, in terms of how you stay focused, don't have distractions. I think you have to be, number one, aware of what actually distracts you and be honest with yourself because, whilst it is lovely to have your phone nearby, we all know that it's a distraction. Um, and be more critical of making sure you take the breaks because I think particularly the busier you get, the harder it is to force yourself to stop every 20 minutes. And everyone says it, and it's so obvious to say it out loud. If you take a break, your concentration will be better. You will do the task better and more quickly. But in the heat of the anxiety of having to get something done to a deadline, let's say, you you, you try and plough through. It's like people eating lunch at their desk. You know, rarely is it actually necessary rarely do you not have time to take 50 minutes to eat um it's, it's it's really really important so i think you have to be really strict with yourself um, and if that means putting a post-it note on your screen that says stop eat drink uh, then do it anything that works great advice uh, so
1: how has covid 19 affected how you work as a solicitor
0: well i mean it's, it's pretty uh i think it's pretty revolutionary for the world generally Uh, because it's turned most things uh, on its head but actually when it comes to thinking about how my working life has changed other than the fact that I'm in a different setting for most of the time actually there hasn't been much of a change at all and I think what uh, what is interesting or what is helpful is that I'm very fortunate I have um, I've worked, I work in a firm where working from home was already an encouraged thing to do and for example uh, everybody was encouraged to work at least one day a fortnight from home for no other reason than so working from home didn't become a woman thing so everyone you know had a um, uh, did it so Everyone in my firm, including me, were already well adapted to working from home. Have the technology um, uh, and the sort of the, the know-how as to how to navigate most things you need to do at work from home. I think the the biggest uh, and maybe this is quite an archaic thing issue that we initially found during lockdown was how we get about collecting signatures on wetting hard copy documents because. Um, as I was saying before you know we're fairly document heavy and until fairly recently everything would just be signed without thinking about it by hand by somebody and couriered back to you um, and obviously when people are at home they don't have the whizzy printers to print everything and we don't have the ability necessarily to collect the documents in one place and, and gather them all up um, and for confidentiality reasons a lot of my clients aren't even allowed to print documents at home. So, coming up with um, interesting solutions to those uh, was was more of a sort of a logistical uh, interest than um, than a difficulty. But actually, most documents can be signed electronically. Very few have to be signed in in, in wet ink. And even the ones that do need to be signed in wet ink, and my friend ha- um, my friend my firm uh, has a, a great network of um, uh, black taxis who will take documents to anyone who needs to have them delivered to them. Wait for them even witness them if they need a witness and, and bring them to the right person so I mean there are solutions to, to everything I think it's made people think out of the box a little bit more um it's certainly saved uh saved a lot of trees and generally the the environment because I think where people might have just been anxious about electronic signatures before and stuck to doing paper signatures because there's no reason not to I think people have jumped a lot more uh two feet into uh electronic signing platforms and, and and the like because it does work and, and it's fine and it's it's really efficient so i think clients have, have have massively won from it well it sounds like that you know by working
1: from home already doing your uh once every two weeks you were kind of like already ahead of the times and now with the whole you know wetting the signature you're moving with the times already and you know adapting so
0: Mm, I, I think the optimum is probably a mix where you have the flexibility for people to work from home uh, when they want to with, um, when we're not in lockdown, the, uh, the ability to make sure that you have people in the office um, crossing over at least for a few days a week because of the importance, particularly for everybody to learn from the people that are around them. Um, because one of the things that I always worry you're missing out on the most is that that osmosis of listening to what's going on and just absorbing um and i mean i I would always find whoever i'm sharing an office with or whoever i'm nearby i can't help it you eavesdrop you listen to what they're saying and then you get and then you get to say oh what was that about that sounded interesting well i've not heard about that before tell me a bit about that Um, and so it's important that we find other ways to recreate that atmosphere even though we're all working from home
1: yeah i was on a um a webinar yesterday held by a trainee a solicitor's then, and they were saying that we're talking about you know how important it is to pick up the phone and speak to people when you've just joined and you know and you're in lockdown straight away um and they said although you know that's fantastic you're still missing that kind of like experience um and well seeing how uh, a partner or a solicitor is communicating with the client so it's like that kind of stuff that they're missing out on rather than you know having a one-on-one with them um, Mm. Uh, this lister so.
0: but there's um there are still ways there that you can get around that one of the best things that, that i found um and i and i've done this and qualified is you can always look in the diaries of the people you're working for so in my diary, I have obviously my diary open, but I also have the calendars of the, the two partners that I do most of my work for pinned so that they're always open as well. And maybe, again, this is just me being nosy, but at the beginning of a week and each day, I will look and I'll see what those partners have in their diaries for that day. And if there is something on a matter I'm working on, I can offer my services up. Or if it just looks interesting i can just ask if i can get involved or join and i would really recommend that the trainees uh, and juniors do the same have a look in the diaries of the people that you work most closely with and just ask can i dial in and sit on mute just to listen um because dialing in and sitting on mute is of course an absolutely fine thing for um for trainees to do and for juniors to do because it's a great way of learning. But in the everyday life that you're going through, it doesn't always occur to me to say to whoever's helping me on a deal, oh by the way, I've just had a last minute call scheduled before. Of course you can dial in as well. Here are the dialing details. But yeah. that's not because I, I don't think that they're a great me or I don't think about them. It, it you know, it, it's just life is busy and you just don't turn your attention to that. So And don't ever be afraid uh, to say, can I dial into that? And people do it to me all the time. And I'm delighted when they ask. And I always think, well, generally in life, whenever there's something you're thinking about, what's the worst that can happen? And with this, the worst that happens is you say, oh, Laura, I saw that you got a call in the diary with the client at four, can I join and sit on you? And and I'm going to say, what? No, that's the worst that can happen. So you've got nothing to lose.
1: Uh, so just moving on now to the responsibilities that you have outside of the firm. Um, can you tell us what your former role of the president of Westminster and Holborn Law Society entailed? And now what uh, being a, a council member of the Law Society entails, how, how it differs?
0: Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. Um, and I think this sort of harks back. I mean, my involvement generally with both the the local law society, which is Westminster and Holden Law Society, and the, the National Law Society, where I'm a, a council member, um, it, it harps back really to the fact that I, as sad as it might I enjoy being a lawyer, I, I enjoy being a member of this great profession, and uh, I feel lucky to be able to go to work every day and do something I enjoy, and I think it's really important that I can try and do what I can to make sure others are also having that that experience. So um, I would, and obviously I'm totally biased, but I would absolutely recommend that everybody um, joins or gets involved with their local law society um, and and the National Law Society because you've got a custom-made network, support network right there outside of your firm. Um, And there are so many things to be gleaned from that. Um, so when I was president of Westminster and Holborn Law Society, that role involved really being a representative for all of the lawyers in Westminster and Holborn, uh, where, um, which was uh, the constituency there. And so it was being attuned to what the needs of the lawyers are, putting in place events and activities and training sessions that, and networking events that suit their needs. Um, and also representing them at a higher level, so overseeing consultation responses uh, in various areas of the law, and representing them to, uh, to the national law society, and uh, just just making sure that as well as having the support network of being in your firm, people realise that we are one collective legal profession, and actually we're a lot stronger together than we are thinking about ourselves in our silos. Um, and I think that's what also really contributes to my sort of approach when I'm dealing on, on transactions with other lawyers is that we are much more one and the same than we are uh, on opposite sides of a, of a matter. Um, and then from the perspective of being a council member, um, a council member is, is exactly the same at the National Law Society. I, I represent my, my constituency um, and uh, it's, it's, it's a great honour. I have about 85,000 constituents I'm supposed to represent and um, it's, it's always... Um, I always say taking it very seriously because you tend to hear and see some of the worst cases of how people are treated or what people are enduring and it makes you realise how fortunate you are um, to, to, to be working with people and in an area that, that you enjoy. And I mean, COVID has been a, a really um, sad example of uh, where People need support um, and people might often think, oh, lawyers, you know, they, they don't need any help. But I mean, during lockdown, anxiety levels, for example, have gone absolutely through the roof. and um, you have junior lawyers and trainees in, in certain firms across the country who are complaining of um not being allowed to qualify, um, being allowed to qualify but not uh, receiving adequate pay, um having paid deductions to the point where they're being paid less than recommended minimum salary. Uh, trainees uh, or juniors who have effectively been, been stripped of the usual jobs they would be doing and, and being given um, uh, admin tasks instead. I mean, I would say most days you hear or receive um, reports of treatment of our members that is just not acceptable and uh, they don't have voices anywhere else and so that's that's our job on a on a micro level on a macro level it's looking at the big picture uh, of issues and trying to shape policy and uh, and and the direction of travel for the profession as a whole and so some of the the really big issues that are obvious to so many people is the new solicitors qualification exam and that's going to come in very soon it's currently with the lsb the legal services board for approval and um, that's going to totally overhaul uh, the method by which people can qualify as solicitors and so it's really important that we hold the uh, solicitors regulation authority's feet to the fire to make sure that it is a robust method of qualification so that the title of solicitor is still held in really high regard whilst at the same time making sure that it doesn't have any terrible or any um, uh, equality or diversity uh, um, impact, because uh, that is one of my biggest concerns uh, for the profession, is that we're not going to have a really good quality profession unless we have the best candidates, and the best candidates have to come from diverse backgrounds. Um, it, it has to change.
1: So we probably already touched on this uh, when you were explaining how you organised your day. But how did you balance? Well, how do you balance your workload as a solicitor with these other other responsibilities that you have? Because it sounds like you know you have you probably have to dedicate a lot of energy and time to um, to these roles in the societies.
0: Mm, no, no, it, it it does take up quite a lot of time. So I think that's why it's important when you are thinking about what the let's call them the extracurricular activities you want to do on top of work what it is that you find enjoyable and what actually gives you energy as opposed to what drains your energy and um you might have noticed when i just got on my soapbox these issues i find them really energizing they're so important i consider them fundamental to to our profession and so um, my, my work at the Law Society tends to uh, make me much more energetic than it does uh, but drain me but um, in terms of balancing workloads I think the first thing is you just have to be organised and plan ahead um, so that you can fit everything in and I think the second thing goes back to being true to yourself and not being afraid to say out loud what is important and um, I work at the firm I work at because They are very supportive of me and I consider it a very good firm. And so um, I have always been very upfront in saying these roles that I have at the Law Society are very important to me. And so this means that once a month I'm going to be at a board meeting or uh, of an evening. um, I will need to be here at this time um, it doesn't impact my day-to-day work because work is flexible enough that my tasks that I need to do still get done um, and the firm is, is is totally supportive of that and I think when you're thinking about where you're going to work, where you're going to qualify, it's really important to, to acknowledge that it, it, you need to be able to do what is important to you and the right place for you to work and the right people for you to work for are those that appreciate and encourage, um, that. And it's a no brainer I'm guessing for the firm because in return for you know, encouraging, uh, me to do the things that I'm interested in, they get all the feedback of knowledge that I'm finding out from all of these different meetings. It's profile raising for them. And they have a very happy employee who will work hard for them. but uh, because of that, um, and I think if you think long term strategy, firms invest an enormous amount in their employees in terms of training and, and whatnot. And from, from nothing else than a business model, it's expensive to have to replace people. So if you treat your employees well, they won't leave. And so on a, on a basic business model, it's, uh, it's important to say as a as a lawyer in wherever you're working, these things are important to me. And here is my plan as to how I'm going to make sure my work still gets done at the same time. But can you support this, please? So you spoke about um,
1: solicitors uh, being anxious in this time and, you know, being true to yourself and being happy with your work um, or in your work. In your opinion, what can be done to raise awareness and improve mental health and well-being in the legal industry for, you know, those who who aren't so happy?
0: No, no. Well, I think the first thing is to acknowledge that everybody uh, isn't so happy And actually, anxieties uh, and and, and mental health are are things that nearly everyone will encounter if they haven't already or they're not. Um, And I think the best thing we can do is what we are doing right now. And we've got to talk about it. I think it has to be really commonplace uh, that... It's okay to say this is really rubbish. Lockdown is really rubbish. It's making everybody suffer extreme levels of anxiety. Lawyers are the types of people who are perfectionists anyway. And now we've been thrown into alien environments where we have to work in isolated conditions um, and yet still perform at a really high level on top of coping with what is. a very stressful world situation and the other things that you're coping with at home, albeit caring responsibilities, illness and um, and, and everything else. So I think that the first thing is just to, to say it's OK. It is OK um, that, that you are feeling the way you do, however you might be feeling. The second thing is is to, I know this sounds like a big plug, um, is to have a look at the employer guidance on uh, mental health and wellbeing published by the Law Society. And it's the the culmination of years of work from from one of my colleagues, Kaylee Leone, who's a fellow council member with me. Um, And she has really spearheaded and championed. Um, the the mental health cause uh, within the legal profession, and the the employer guidance includes loads of advice on. Um, Things that employers as well as employees can do to to, to better um, discussions around mental health. It, it even includes little cartoons as to how to hold discussions about um, uh, about these things. Um, so I think that is is the key: is to reassure the people who are around you that it's okay, and to be alert to it as well. Um, have a have a look at people check in try and have a video call now and again with somebody rather than just a telephone call do, do you think that they're doing okay because i find it very difficult being isolated uh, and not in the office because i can't see the people who i work with so i can't see if they're pulling their hair out if they're in really late if they're not eating their lunch but are still at their computer and um, so you have to find alternative ways that you can sort of make sure you're still checking in on on people and, and making sure everyone is okay whilst also being um alert and aware to your own feelings and to see how how, how you are and checking in with yourself yeah, I can imagine that it can be uh, we well, can get to that point where
1: you're trying to look after others and you're not looking after yourself trying to check in with everybody when you know mm. it's really as important to make sure you're okay and as you were saying take those couple of minutes or 15 half an hour to have lunch and you know because I think that well being is so important. Health, nutrition, sleep is really important. So if you're not looking after yourself, how can you expect to look after others? It just it needs you need to, you know, really um look after yourself and others
0: no no and i think um one of the dangers now that people are working from home which is a good thing is that people are more flexible in their working so it might be particularly i found during lockdown i have a small baby so um a lot of my work would be done later in the day because during the middle of the day when she was awake um i was spent chasing her around and i think it's important to make sure that your hours that you're working don't necessarily impose on the hours that someone else isn't working So if I'm doing work of an evening, unless it is imminently urgent, I won't send it to somebody until the next morning. And you can either just leave it sitting in your drafts or you can delay sending through Outlook. There's options that say delay sending and you can pick the time that you send it. And I think it's just being a bit mindful towards that. I think people often send things just to get them off the desk, not maliciously, but just because you don't think about the fact that you're up at nine o'clock at night because you've been with the baby until seven o'clock at night or whatnot it, it impacts people I know if I get an email um late in the evening it, play, it could play on my mind and so I think it's really important um that uh you try and keep things within people's working hours where you can that's really great to know
1: moving on now to well, more well-being we further further into that I well, we've met a couple of times at uh, law society events, but the first time I came across any of your work was when uh, the podcast came out with what was it, Club Soda? Yes, and yes, and you'd also written an article called Calling Time on Our Booze Culture. Since that article was published, have you noticed a change in lawyers' relationship with alcohol?
0: Yeah, well, I guess the first thing I'd say is that the campaign was sort of kicked off because there is already an enormous change going on uh, with uh, a healthier approach to alcohol. And what I really wanted to do was harness that positive approach that a lot of uh, firms and lawyers are adopting and put it out into the, the public sphere so that everyone else can can adopt it if, if, if they want to. Um, so when I initially put the, the campaign out, it was it was to say that we are not at all being prescriptive about what people drink or don't drink it is entirely up to it to everybody uh what their personal preference is it's just to make it acceptable uh, and to make sure that there is the opportunity for people to choose what they drink very much like you choose what, what you want to eat um and uh I think often people appreciate the sentiment but don't really know how to address it because uh, typically uh, events are drinks based let's say um uh, and whatnot and so the the firms or the organizations that are doing alternatives and are thinking differently about it are the ones that really stand out and are really winning and so it's an easy sell to for other people to copy by by example um, so what amazed me when the campaign sort of kicked off as it were it, it was covered I think in in every national newspaper it was on the radio it was on the news um, was the number of people across the country and not just lawyers either uh, who were getting in touch uh, and saying um I'm uh, this is really resonated with me I have been teetotal for 15 years but I've never told anybody but I've just spoken out and we're going to start running events like this as well and and, and actually what was what the campaign reinforced in my head was that whilst I was already seeing the positive changes that had been happening for quite a long time, actually behind the scenes, lots of people even more so uh, were already taking these approaches, but just not talking about them because they didn't think it was the done the thing to do to talk about it. Um, and so now I just have a stream of uh, correspondence from people where um, people are getting in touch saying what interesting different types of events they've been running or something that they've just had an invitation to and it's absolutely fascinating so the guidance is on the website but in response to that because we had such an outpouring of um, communication of of correspondence from people in response to it we put together a compilation of all the, uh, the great examples that had were being sent to us in the spirit of sharing them for other people to copy um, and so that's also uh, available on the website and i think uh i think there is only 30 i think we launched one each day of april for a uh, mental health awareness month um, but i mean there are, there are hundreds of things and some of them are really fascinating and i add to my repertoire as well so um one of the most popular and interesting ones i hadn't even realized was a thing is axe throwing people love axe throwing <laughs> Um, I know I I hadn't hadn't realised it was a thing, Um, but, I mean, you've got everything from arts and crafts and um, to to, to cooking and throwing axes and and physical things and and whatnot. But I think what it also throws up is the other things that you have to be mindful of when you are organising events as well. And it's not just, you know, what is someone's drinking preference, but it's um, who else am I excluding? Um, Are there times of the day that might Food people that have caring responsibilities or disabilities are there activities that require a sort of a, a physical ability that um uh somebody might not be able to, to participate for and so actually it is just making people a little bit more mindful i think about the types of activity that they um uh, that they want to attend and something a, a senior partner of a um uh A well-respected American law firm said to me is his litmus test for an event whenever he gets invitations because he gets invitations all the time is if there isn't any drink and if uh, let's say my hero let's call him Nelson Mandela uh, was at a different event would I still go to the event I've been invited to and I think Lots of people say, oh, but we have to you know, make sure there's lots of alcohol advertised because otherwise people won't come. And my response to that is, well, then you shouldn't run such rubbish events because your events should have things that people are, want to come to for either learning purposes or to mingle with the people that are there, um, not just because you're offering free booze. And um, So I think it's actually made people's business development uh, a lot more successful uh, on, on the back of that. I would love to have a look
1: at that list, and and I'll put that in the show notes as well for this episode for anybody else that wants these creative ideas. Um, <laughs> hopefully, there's no alcohol at that axe throwing event,
0: because, um, <laughs> yeah. or alcohol after. <laughs> Maybe you <laughs> needed stiff drink after that to yeah, help with the targets. But I think also actually, what is it useful in the guide is that um, one of the things people are struggling with during lockdown is how to continue doing their business development and um, keeping up relationships with clients whilst you're all stuck at home. Mm. And actually, you just need to be creative. There are loads of ways of of doing that. And some of the examples in in the guidebook are are, are quite useful. but uh, video conferencing is obviously a fantastic tool, which means that you can organize pretty much anything that you could do physically now over video conference. So um, we do lots of online classes with, uh, with our contacts. So um, you'll have, uh, let's say we're hat making. So the hat making materials will be sent to everybody's homes and then we do it all together over uh, video link. Or I think we had wooden spoon carving fairly recently. So the, the tools for, for carving wooden spoons, the centre of everybody, and we did them all over, um, video uh, link. It doesn't have to be expensive, you, you know, um, drawing classes or food baking classes or um, in, anything and everything. Just something that, um, uh, it's just a bit more uh, thinking uh, bit more out of the box. It's, do,
1: it's great fun doing stuff like that. It's kind of like, takes you back to, you know, being a child or something like that. I used to do a lot of paint your own pottery classes when i was younger i can imagine it being quite uh, nostalgic
0: yes yeah and sometimes (laughs) i think it's fun to to do something with other people that where it's totally acceptable to be rubbish because i think we all hold ourselves in such high uh pressure such a, a high level of perfectionism and obviously our clients expect that and it's it's very cathartic to be able to be in an environment where you can say, all I've got to offer is this stick man. I've got nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) How funny. So how do
1: you um, maintain a healthy work-life balance? Do you think you have one? If yes, how? How?
0: Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I think I'm, I'm probably not all the time. I don't think anyone's perfect, yeah. uh, and no one can ever get this perfect at all. I think it's just being aware of when you're being better at it than than not, um, and trying to put in place mechanisms that keep you on the right track most of the time um so basic things that you can try and make into habit so even when i'm working from home at the beginning of the day i go out for a walk around the block and come in before i log onto the computer and i treat that as my mental commute to work and at the end of the day i will log off go for my walk around the block and come home as if i've created two separate little um working in a home environments um and i think the key thing and this goes back to sort of knowing yourself and being and being true to yourself is to work out in life what are your non-negotiables and making sure that you carve out time for those non-negotiables because as urgent as your work is um, and as much as you think you've just got to keep plowing on, like we said before, taking a break, even a short one to, to do your non-negotiable activity will help you perform better and more quickly when you resume work. Um, so, so, I mean, and they don't; these non-negotiables don't have to be uh, um, anything particularly exotic or fantastic I mean you can lots of people have sport and, and, and whatnot I have um, a couple of books on the go on my kindle and I have bath and bedtime with my daughter they're my non-negotiables they don't take an enormous amount of time out of my day but uh, it's very rare that I would have to miss those for something particularly urgent and they re- reinvigorate how how you're feeling so I think just making sure that you get a bit of perspective by having having those non-negotiables
1: interesting you say that actually because i was listening to a podcast the other day i think it was time management or how to prioritize and the guy that was uh, taking it he said i plan my work around my life or my day or something like that so he's got <laughs> his week and he puts in you know his his life and then he works around that and i just thought that was really interesting you do need something to look forward to; otherwise, you're just going to work yourself up into the ground, and it's mm. not sustainable. So, it's going back to you know taking those couple of breaks here and there. Mm-hmm. You need to have these checkpoints and keep yourself motivated and happy. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot for um, taking breaks and having non-negotiables, as you say. Well, thank you so much. Uh, before I let you go to go off and do those non-negotiables. <laughs> Have any last words uh, or advice to student lawyers pursuing a career? Yes,
0: keep going. I think the best advice um, that uh, I wish I had given myself was don't get disheartened and just keep going. Um, Acknowledge that, you know, it's really hard. It's really hard nowadays to get your degree, to complete your studies, to get a training contract, to get a vacation placement, to qualify, to qualify in a firm, in a team that you you want to. Um, So already you're doing really, really well. Inevitably, throughout the whole process, most people will come up against rejection at some point. But it isn't rejection. It's just that's not the right place for you at this time. And I think it's really important to know that if you just keep going... You will get there, and I know it's really easy for me to say that now. Um, and I can remember people saying the same to me and thinking, "Oh, but it'll never happen! It'll never happen!" um I, th- I think have confidence that if you want something and you're working for it, then you will get there, and you've just got to keep going. And The other piece of advice, actually, which is the best bit of advice I was given when I left university, is keep in touch with everyone that you can. Um, Keep your network as broad as possible. And this includes um, if you go to a lecture by someone or hear a talk from someone, send them an email. Say, I found that really interesting. Um, and, And nothing more than that. I would challenge anyone who's listening and watching the podcast to send me an email and Feel free to send me any questions that you have about what's going on in your life at the moment, anything you want to know about um, and whatnot. I will respond. And I am amazed. I I give quite a lot of lectures um, uh, to to university students. And uh, I always say at the end, this is my email address. This is uh, where you can find me just by Googling me on the Law Society website, If there is anything you want to know, send me an email. If there's anything you think I might be able to help you with, a pointer, a bit of advice, something you're stuck on, ask me. The worst that happens is that whoever you've got in touch with doesn't reply. That's the worst that happens. The best that happens is that they do reply and you've built out your network. You've got nothing to lose. So keep in touch with everyone and anyone because uh, networks in a profession like ours, um, where we are all one uh, one big profession, is, is really key. That's fantastic. I'll
1: put your details as well in the, in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you too. Well, Thank you so much for joining us, Laura. You have provided fantastic advice and i have really enjoyed speaking with you. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on to the show.
0: my absolute pleasure um, and hopefully you'll
1: have me back again soon. oh absolutely. thank <laughs> you very thank you to everyone that has listened to this um episode. keep going and we'll see you next time on the street lawyer. thank you so much. To hear more of The Student Lawyer's podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join The Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. We'd like to thank Felix Knight for producing this podcast today.